You're listening to the sixth season of Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about the intersection of liturgy and life. I'm Father Jeffrey Reddy, Director of Orthodox Christian Studies at Trinity College, part of the University of Toronto. I'm also the Rector of Holy Merbera's Orthodox Mission in Toronto. I'm joined by my former student and good friend, Father Yuri Hladio, who pastors St. Maria of Paris Orthodox Mission in Hamilton. For our sixth season, Father Yuri and I will be making public our series on the Desert Fathers and Mothers of the Church, previously released only for our patrons. You'll be hearing the episodes exactly as they were originally released. We release special private issues for our Patreon subscribers on a weekly basis. If you like what you hear and you'd like access to more podcast content, you can go to patreon.com forward slash enacting the kingdom or go to enactingthekingdom.com and follow the link from there. For now, we hope you enjoy the public release of this episode. Welcome to the Enacting the Kingdom private podcast. You're listening to this because you've chosen to financially support this project, and Father Jeffrey and I are so grateful to have you as part of our Patreon community. As a show of our gratitude, please accept this Patreon-only episode as a special thank you. Welcome everybody and the sorry welcome everybody to the next episode in our series on the desert fathers and mothers today's themes are the tears of compunction and the necessity for practice in the spiritual life a very cheery subject the tears of compunction father jeffrey uh, and before we uh, before we dive into uh, the sayings of the fathers and mothers about tears um, i thought i would start with um, a, a funny little story and then dive into one of the sayings by uh, Isaac of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was doing, as some of our listeners know, I have another podcast called uh, Prying Priest, where I interview people, whether they're Orthodox or not, or religious or not. I just ask people about their upbringing and their experiences of spirituality and religion and and what it means that they believe what they believe, you know, that that kind of thing. <clears throat> And I had one uh, friend who was on the show, and he told me about a time that he was at um, uh, the Beth- Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in uh, California. Okay. And <laughs> there was, uh, which is a, a, a very big Christian school. Uh, if anyone knows Bethel music, that's from that, that school. Um, and there's like a subset of, they're kind of in the charismatic, you know, sphere of things that we don't have to get into. But there was a small group of, people there that he knew that uh, were maybe a little more intense than everybody else. And he, in passing in the interview, he mentions that some of these people went off to do soul sucking and then kind of continued on, uh, sorry, uh, grave sucking and then went (laughs) on to do other kind of things. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have to stop right there. What is grave sucking? He said, oh, well, it's uh, people will go to um, cemeteries and pray over graves to raise the dead, right? As, as a miracle to prove, you know, God's power and everything. And I, I you know, I, I'm sort of, you can go back and listen to the interview with Braden Siemens, but I was like flabbergasted, right? Um, grave sucking. Uh, and I read this quote from Isaac of Nineveh that we'll dive into right now. And it reminded me of that story and of that attempt to raise the dead. So here's, I'll just read the saying and then we can dive right into it. <laughs> He who is aware of his sins is greater than one who can raise the dead. Whoever can weep over himself for one hour is greater than the one who is able to teach the whole world. Whoever recognizes the depth of his own frailty is greater than the one who sees visions 
of angels. I think there are a lot of schools of Christianity that really emphasize the experience of miracles, right? To see visions of angels, to be able to uh, have a charismatic teacher, you know, who can teach the whole world and grow your church to mega church status. And the ultimate miracle of raising the dead, grave sucking. Right. <laughs> but here, like Isaac of Nino is completely recasting all of this, right? To, towards the inner self. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this reorients us towards a priority that is, you know, it, it, it shows up in the lists of the things we're supposed to do, right? It's, it's maybe assumed to be a kind of precursor. Sometimes it's assumed to be just a, a particular stage in our Christian life, right? The idea of, of repentance. In a lot of Christian narrative, you know, repentance is that moment when you went from living a worldly life to, to living um, a life for Christ. You've given your heart over to, to Jesus. You've, you've been on your knees. You've said the sinner's prayer. Um, you've become a Christian. And so job done, box ticked, right? And in some extent, you know, we look at the lives of the desert fathers and mothers, many of them have had this kind of profound conversion experience, right? They lived lives in the world, something convicted them, they had this deep compunction, they decided to live their lives fully for Christ, they've gone out into the desert, and you might think, okay, they've repented. Now what? Next stage, right? On to the teaching, on to the miracles, on to the great feats of asceticism and, and so forth. And what this reminds us um, in, in the saying of, of St. Isaac is that that never ends, right? It's a bit like what we were saying in a previous episode about it's always a beginning, right? The repentance is not an, a kind of start button of the Christian life. Repentance is the Christian life. And that never ends. It's constant. And when we stop repenting, we stop being a Christian. Until, you know, one day when all, Christ and God will be all in all, right? And, and we will be full participants in, in the revealed glory um, of God's life. But until then, as I say, if we stop repenting, we stop being Christians. And so that's why, you know, St. Isaac makes this incredible statement that to be aware of our sins is greater than to raise the dead and weeping over ourselves for an hour is, is, is more important than teaching, you know, the whole world. We get those priorities wrong and we, we think that um, repentance is kind of the, you know, at, at best it's the thing I need to do maybe once a day or whatever to, to kind of move on to all these things. No, it's got to permeate every aspect, you know, of our lives because it's, it's an, a reorientation of our lives, of our hearts, our minds, our bodies towards the life of God. And if raising the dead and teaching and having visions of angels is to mean anything, it has to mean participation in the life of God. And we can't do that without this reorientation, without this deep humility and openness to God's grace and, and love, which is what compunction and, you know, tears are, are, are all about. And, and opening ourselves to the possibility of God's life in us is what is then going to be the key to indeed teaching the whole world and bringing everybody from the death of their current lives into the life of the, the resurrection. 
I also I want to read a a, a saying from Ama Syncletica here because I think I think this is important because you know emotions like tears are almost like tools that can be abused and used in a wrong way, right? Um, so her saying here goes something like this: There is a there is a grief that is useful, and there is a grief that is destructive. The first sort consists in weeping over one's own faults and weeping over the weakness of, our, of one's neighbors in order not to destroy one's purpose and attach oneself to the perfect good. But there is also a grief that comes from the enemy, full of mockery, which some call asidia. This spirit must be cast out, mainly by prayer and psalmody. Hmm. You know, I think she's putting her finger on, on something accurate here because... You know, you can, you can be in delusion too, right? You can, you can um, be grieving in the wrong way, right? Um, it's just, it, it's fascinating. Humans are complicated, you know, and and the fathers and mothers seem to be able to put their fingers on these different aspects of, of um, human behavior. Yeah. Well, so here's another problem we have with something like um, repentance. So either we, we dismiss it or we limit it to just kind of one phase of our Christian life, you know, or we draw the conclusion from the sorrow that we experience in our lives that somehow we must be living this proper life of ongoing repentance. I feel sad a lot of the time. Therefore, I must be experiencing compunction right? Um, I must be on the right path. In fact, I weep. Therefore, I have the gift of tears. And what, you know, Mother Syncletica here is pointing out to us is that you need to be really careful because there are tears and there are counterfeit tears. Um, The true tears are the ones that will lead towards a kind of deeper knowledge of ourselves and a deeper recognition of our dependence on God's love and grace, right? And they lead to, to new life, right? It's, a, they're the, it's the, the, the water of, of renewal. Um, but as we've said before, water is an ambiguous thing. Water can be the drink that you need to give you life. It can be what washes and cleans you, or, but water can drown you. Water can be chaotic and, and, and can, can be destructive. And so there's the kind of opposite of compunction, of penthos, as it's called in the Greek, um, is this asidia, which you know, can be translated you know, various ways, but you know, can be like despondency, something like that. You know, it's a kind of, it's a lethargy that comes from a self-centered sorrow. And as I say, it's a counterfeit. And so it will approach very much. You might be the same experience, you know, could lead to one or the other. And the same experience could lead to tears that could mean one or the other, right? Our response to a particular event, situation, circumstances, something we've done, something someone else has done, something we've observed in ourselves or someone else, in our families, whatever, what, what that thing can lead to sorrow, to sadness, and it could be one or the other, right? So it's not even that, well, you know it by, by the, the, the situation. It's not that. It's what is its fruit is the only way to, to kind of ultimately tell. Does this lead to greater 
understanding of ourselves, of our humility, a greater awareness of God's love and care and you know, ultimate concern to, to an infinite love for the whole world? Or does it lead to you know, a desire to, for us to have things put right in our favor for, for a kind of, of, of twisted justice, which means that you know, somebody else has to suffer the way we have or to, to make up for what's happened or, you know, we need to be vindicated or, or something like that. Or we feel, you know, that things are not fair and they need to be put, put right in, in terms of our own, you know, um, situation. Well, these are, they can look really very much the same and the experience can feel the same. And so we conclude, say that we've been sad or sorrowful over something well, that sure it must be the repentance and this gift of tears that that God's called for. But it's why we always and everywhere slow down and attend to the the spiritual life and to our hearts, as we've been talking about through this series. One of the things to examine is precisely the tears that we have, whether they're literal tears or metaphorical tears. We all every day cast tears in some way or another, and we need to examine what is it we're actually crying about and is it um that we are god-centered in this or are we self-centered is the you know is the ultimate question and it, it's a it's a very very hard thing sometimes to unpack because um as i say there's a real counterfeit quality to asadia compared to penthos or, or true compunction yeah and i think one thing to remember is when you know in a lot of the sayings of the fathers when they're talking about weeping, it is that useful kind of weeping. Um, you know, Mother Syncletica is pointing out this distinction, but when it's used, like for example, I'll give the, the saying from Abba Piman here. A brother asked Abba Piman what he should do about his sins. The old man said to him, he who wishes to purify his faults purifies them with tears, and he who wishes to acquire virtues acquires them with tears. For weeping is the way the scriptures and our fathers give us. When they say weep, truly, there is no other way than this. Mm -hmm. uh, although, you know, you might argue that, you know, every sin leads to grief, right? Um, but mm -hmm. what kind of grief will it be, right? And uh, to, to just merely experience grief or sorrow and even quote unquote tears is not the point. It's you know we need to for what purpose for 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 what end what's the what's the the telos of our tears and of the telos of the tracks of our tears is to live according to God's purposes to reorient our hearts and to break our hearts to have our hearts broken for the that they become permeable to God's Holy Spirit and to His love is what. Abba Piman is talking about here, right? So that's why you need that um, Amma Sincletica counterbalance to that to say, well, hang on a minute. It's not every tear that's shed and every feeling of grief that you have that is properly compunction, right? And, and I think we can mislead ourselves. Sometimes we think that, my goodness, you know, I, I've done something wrong, someone else has done something wrong, and I've suffered, and I'm sorrowful, and I'm grieving, God must be accepting this as my repentance, right? Whereas it could be a very self-centered, um, self-congratulatory almost um, experience of of tears, which is not at all what's what's meant here. So it's it's probably the area in the desert 
spirituality and, and life that is the most bewildering to us, perhaps, uh, most misleading even, uh, because we've made a whole industry, right, today out of tears. In the, I mean, go to the bookstore, right? Go to the pharmacy, um, go to talk shows um, and go to healthcare, you know, professionals, they'll tell you that, you know, grief and sorrow and trauma and, and all of this is just, it's a, it's a growth industry, Father. <laughs> I mean, um, lots mm-hmm. of careers to be had, lots of money to be made in, in dealing, you know, mm-hmm. with all of this. And yet to actually be able to discern between what the fathers and mothers of the desert are talking about and saying that there's a way through this and this is the way actually to wholeness um, is, is a very, I mean, we need good people in these industries to be able to, to carefully parse this out. Yeah, so I'd like to pivot now to the theme of the necessity of practice in the spiritual life. So I'll read a quote here from Abba Theodore. A brother came to Abba Theodore and began to converse with him about things which he had never yet put into practice. Oh, that is a bad start. <laughs> you, know, you know this is not going to go well. Um, so, so the old man said to him, you have not yet found a ship nor put your cargo aboard it. And before you have sailed, you have already arrived at the city. Yeah. Do the work first. Then you will have the speed you are making now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cart before the horse there, you know? Well, for sure. I mean, I, 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 but I'm never going to say cart before the horse anymore. I'm going to say <laughs> arriving at your destination before, before you, you found the a ship. ship, loaded cargo on it, and before sailing. You know, I, I, I mean, it's just an extended uh, and, and very vivid description, uh, you know, of the same thing. And what a beautiful, beautiful response. You, I mean, these guys are so witty. And they're yeah. so, uh, I mean, without the hint of... Um, you know, of, of dark sarcasm or something like that. Um, they're not being sardonic. They're, 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 they're being clever and gently, you know, provoking and and prodding, you know, so often I'm imagining this always as like an 18 year old, you know, boy who's kind of thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I, you know, um, and I mean, honestly, like how, how this, this saying should be at the top of every single Orthodox Facebook forum and group. I know. Because I know. so many people that run online things find often, often it begins in an innocent way where all they want to do is be able to have a community of people that they can talk to about this stuff. But then when you create the the room, the the Facebook group, you just automatically become the moderator, which means you are the authority and you get to choose who's, you know, you get to choose which opinions and what topics get talked about. Yeah. And often these are, it's just somebody who wants to learn often, right? Just some, the, the, if I were to read it generously, someone just wants to have a teacher or to have a discussion where they could learn. But then all of a sudden they become the authority and they become somebody who has already arrived at the city, but not yet, has not yet put any of the, uh, any of this into practice. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I mean, see this repeated over and over again. And one of the things I've learned through the years of ministry is, I mean, there's a pretty strong correlation between the people who do this sort of thing uh, with an actual lack of practice, you know, an actual you know, the, the people who are most going on on the internet about how services shouldn't be shortened and, you know, 
parishes should have more services and do the fullness of vigils and, and all that sort of thing are the ones who are least likely to attend them, right? Um, and there, there's something, you know, sinister about that. There's something, you know, as you say, there, I mean, there's something quite human, you know, about all of that um, and and quite forgivable. I mean, the whole point of all of this is is the forgivableness of, of most things. Um, so, but we need to find a way through. What's the response, you know, to that? Um, is it to just kind of participate in that and, and to decry the same? Or is it to, you know, offer this gentle word, you know, that Abba, um, you know, Theodore does here, where you know, he redirects the, the zeal of the, the, the newcomer, of the young one, um, towards, you know, step by step. Now, it, it's difficult in the sense that what we're offering in the Christian life is a total vision of, of wholeness, of beauty, of perfection, of, of holiness, of shalom, of this, you know, this fullness of human life. This is the Christian message is about renewal and new creation and about heaven and earth coming together and about everything being put right. That's a compelling vision. And we grasp at it, right? And we want to kind of just jump to that. We want to arrive at the city before we've chartered the ship or loaded it up or sailed, right? So that's Abba Theodore's point, that you must have the idea of the city in mind, right? And even this, I mean, in the liturgical world, in the sacramental world, in the Sunday divine liturgy, we're given a kind of foretaste of what it means to have arrived at the city. I mean, that is what the divine liturgy is all about. And all that stuff about, you know, those who... Uh, you know, in, in Hebrews, it talks about all all the saints of the Old Testament who who looked for the city and were not able to arrive. Well, the the point of that and reading that in the divine liturgy is that we are now in that city because of what Christ has done. We are able to partake and and and, and stand in that place. But the conclusion shouldn't be well. Now, having done that, right, we've arrived, right? Because there's the already and not yetness about the the whole Christian life. So we can participate in the liturgy in the last day, but we have to go back out into the world and do precisely what Abba Theodore is directing us to, which is taking things one step at a time. Do the work. Then we will actually live up to what we've experienced in the Eucharist, what we've experienced in, in the divine liturgy, right? So, so, I mean, there's the other forgivable aspect of this. We are actually invited to be in the city even before we've fully chartered the ship loaded it up or sailed, but that doesn't excuse us from the need to precisely go out from the liturgy and say, okay, how do I go about this now? How do I step by step with patience, with practice, form myself or be formed by what I've heard and experienced and by the grace and of God and his Holy Spirit be formed into the person who puts into practice what I've already had the grace filled opportunity to to experience and and all of that is it's infinitely um you know it requires an infinite patience an infinite you know taking care to just put one step in front of the other to this it's about the ongoing repentance it's about forming habits that are oriented towards that goal and and so forth but uh it's 
you know, it, it can't just be we've arrived, right? It, that, that's that jumping over repentance we talked about before. That's about, you know, just getting the, as you said, the cart before the horse or the, the, the city before the ship. The following saying is a very popular one, very famous. And actually, I know that my parents actually have an icon of this up in their home. Um, so <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll read it here. Maybe some of our listeners are already familiar with it. It was said of Abba John the Dwarf that he withdrew and lived in the desert at Scetus with an old man of Thebes. His Abba, taking a piece of dry wood, planted it and said to him, Water it every day with a bottle of water until it bears fruit. Now the water was so far away that he had to leave in the evening and return the following morning. At the end of three years, the wood came to life and bore fruit. Then the old man took some of the fruit and carried it to the church, saying to the brethren, take and eat the fruit of obedience. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's a long time to be working at something. So I haven't seen an icon of this. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to see what, what it looks like. But, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is exactly what I was just saying about infinite patience, right? Um, and what kind of patience? Right? What, what do we mean you know, by that? This is about sticking with something even when there are absolutely no discernible results, right? And yeah, this is three like years, it. like three years of, of watering a <laughs> plank of wood in the ground. Exactly that. Now, I mean, the story really you should say 30 years or something because like the impossibility of this task is, is just so extraordinary. But I mean, here's the thing. So many people will, will say this. Well, I, Father, I tried praying, you know, for all of a week, you know, or a month, or I tried, you know, the, this fasting lark, or I, you know, I tried coming to, to the vigil and, you know, I came three times and it just, it didn't work out. You know, all of these are an expression of the opposite of what we see in, in this little parable and this little saying, right? It, we need to have a kind of consistency, a stability, a commitment. And I mean, it's only by returning again and again to a kind of ongoing practice like this, even when like, there's zero sign of us going anywhere, right? It could even be the opposite. It might be that the, the this plank looks even less likely to start having roots and to bear fruit and and, and so forth. But we almost have to not this would be the wrong way to say it, but I mean, not care about what the results are, right? No, success is not the point. Yeah. It, the very doing of the thing is the result. Hmm. So what I want to say faith, to the- faithful, Faithfulness versus success. Yeah. The person, the, what I want to say to the person who says, you know, I tried coming to vigil three times and I got nothing out of it. And- I would want to say, well, you came to vigil three times, right? The, the very thing itself is the result that you're looking for so mm -hmm, far, mm -hmm. right? Eventually, yes, eschatologically, inexorably, yes, there will be something further to be discerned and God will reveal that to, to you and to us in good time, in his own time and purposes. But for now, the very commitment and patience and practice is the result, right? So if you fasted for 10 days out of Lent and you got nothing out of it, you did. You got 10 days of fasting 
out of Lent, right? Even if there are no special feelings associated with that, even if, you know, so it's sticking the course is what, you know, really, you know, matters. It's why in, in the spiritual life, we don't invite people to just choose their own adventure, right? Um, even though, and we've talked about this before, you know, the fasting rules seem not only just arbitrary today, but you know, not all that appropriate given the different cultural, you know, and, you know, food industry uh, circumstances that, that we live in today. But nevertheless, the very fact that we stick with something, right, even when it doesn't make sense, like watering a piece of wood, um, is the point, right? And because we're not looking for particular outcomes, we're not going to be worried or anxious or, or just distracted by the thing, what we, what we should be paying attention to. And this is, I, I know I've said before, you know, that these spiritual disciplines are tools, they lead towards, you know, something else. What, what they lead towards is a deeper relationship with God. And that is going to be happening here. But in terms of particular outcomes from them, in this regard, we become a little bit, you know, uh, almost unregarding of what the, the outcome immediate outcomes are in in the sense of regarding practice itself and patience yeah, yeah. itself as as a goal and, and and we've achieved that when when we actually stick with something for a time and even if we don't necessarily get anything out of it in our estimation we are actually and you know in the story it's like who gets something out of it right the last line there then the old man took some of the fruit and carried it to the church saying to the brethren take and eat the fruit of obedience it's the it's the community that reaps the benefit of the Absolutely. of the practice right like john yeah. the dwarf the one watering it's not like uh, and after 3 years he was able to sit down and kick back and you know eat the fruit of his you know of course there is that can happen but like the way that the story is is laid out right um it's yeah and it's not even go ahead i was gonna say it's not even taste and eat what john the dwarf has been able to provide for you right like let's give him all the kudos and credits here Mm -hmm. um it's the old man that takes it and there's no reference whatsoever to the years and years of hourly daily attendance impatience and frustration to this seemingly futile task, right? You'd think that after that, you would be heavily rewarded for all kinds of, of um, discipline and, and, and wonderful, you know, self-mastery and everything. But no, I mean, they're, they're told it's the fruit of obedience, but they're not told, you know, go and congratulate uh, uh, John for, for what he's been able to do here, right? So... Well, I'm going to take us to the end, but before I do, was there anything else you wanted to throw in there before I do the final uh, saying, Father Jeffrey? No, let's hear the final saying. Perfect. Okay. So this is actually an anonymous saying, so we don't know where this comes from, but here it is. It's in the tradition. A brother fell when he was tempted, and in his distress, he stopped practicing his monastic rule. He lived long to take it up again. Uh, Sorry, he really longed to take it up again, but his own misery prevented him. He would say to himself, when shall I be able to be holy in the way I used to be before? He went to see one of the old men and told him all about himself. And when the old man learned of his distress, he said, there was a man who had a plot of land, but it got neglected and turned into waste ground full of weeds and brambles. So he said to his son, go and weed the ground. So the son went off to weed it, saw all the brambles 
and despaired. He said to himself, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how long will it take before I have uprooted and reclaimed all that? So he lay down and went to sleep for several days. His father came to see how he was getting on and found he had done nothing at all. Why have you done nothing? He said. The son replied, Father, when I started to look at this and saw how many weeds and brambles there were, I was so depressed that I could do nothing but lie down on the ground. His father said, Child, just go over the surface of the plot every day and you will make some progress. So he did. And before long, the whole plot was weeded. The same is true of you, brother. Work just a little bit without getting discouraged. And God, by his grace, will re-establish you. Well, that does it for another episode of the private podcast of Enacting the Kingdom. Thank you again for all your support. Please feel free to comment with any follow-up thoughts or questions. Father Jeffrey and I read them all. Looking forward to having you back soon.